as we continue this morning, I was reminded um, of that love of God that never fails. And uh, the next song we're going to sing here is Redeemed. And um, the Holy Spirit was reminding me this morning of how I have not yet reached where God is taking me. But that's okay, because His Son and His Spirit has changed me. And so I'm not yet who I'm becoming, but thank God I'm not who I used to be. Amen? We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and we've been forgiven We've been ransomed, and we've been made whole through the obedience of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. He took on the full wrath of God, every, every bit of the wrath of God that we deserve. Jesus took on himself so that we could be redeemed and be a part of God's family, be called his children. So this morning, if you're feeling like hope is gone, it's not. You haven't gone too far. You haven't done things too wrong or so wrong that God cannot reach you. And uh, I hope that this message, and I pray that this message touches you this morning. And uh, if you have been redeemed, please rejoice with me as we sing. Seems like all I could see was a struggle. Haunted by ghosts that lived in my past. Bound up in shackles of all my failures. Stop fighting a fight, it's already been won. I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains and wipe away every stain, cause I'm not who Oh, my. 
Thank God I've been redeemed. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you so very much, Phil, for that. Thank you for singing that today. Uh, that's what our world needs. We need redemption. Our world needs Jesus Christ. Our nation needs Jesus. Uh, what happens when you take a prayer out of school? What happens when you remove God from everything? Will you have what's happening across our land today? Uh, we have tremendous, tremendous challenges and tremendous problems today. And the only way to fix it is to be redeemed through Jesus Christ. We all need Jesus. If you have your Bibles this morning, I hope you'll join me in Nehemiah chapter number 10. Nehemiah chapter number 10. Let me set the background up here if I could just a few moments. And then let me tell a very, very corny story. And then we're going to jump right into the text this morning. Remember what's happening up until this time. If you're looking at the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, it's important to understand that in the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are one book. It's very fascinating. One book in the Hebrew Bible. And when you look at the Hebrew Bible in regards to Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll see that chapter 10 actually begins in chapter 9, verse 38, in our English versions of the Bible. And so it's quite fascinating. Look, if you will, to this passage of Scripture in chapter 9, verse 38. Look at that passage, what it says. The Bible says, And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Now, what's he talking about because of all this? 
Now, remember what's happened up until this moment in time. Nehemiah, who is the cupbearer for Artaxerxes, has a deep, deep burden for Jerusalem. He wants to see the wall built back up. And so with that deep burden that's on his heart, he goes to Artaxerxes, who is the cupbearer. He's the guy that makes sure that the king's not going to be poisoned. So there's an amazing amount of trustworthiness and faithfulness between Nehemiah and uh, Artaxerxes. There's this faithfulness between the two. God, in his great sovereignty, sees in Nehemiah's life his heart and his heart's desire to see the walls built back up and the people of God come back in to Jerusalem. God puts it on the heart of King Artaxerxes to give Nehemiah the desires of his heart. And so God moves in this cupbearer's life. I'm telling you what, you want to get encouragement today? God can use anybody, even a taste tester. God used this taste tester. He had to taste everything the king was putting in his body to make sure that it wasn't poison. If it was poison, Nehemiah's dead. But God uses him as a cupbearer. As God put a tremendous burden on his heart and he said... I'm not much anything, I'm just a cupbearer, but, but I got a passion to work for the Lord. And because of his faithfulness, he approached the authority, that being the king, and said, here's what I'd like to do. And the king said, okay, you can do it. And in spite of all the challenges, all the difficulties that was uh, against him. There were things on the outside that came against him. There were things on the inside that come against him. There were people that didn't like what he was doing. I'm talking about, you talk about a difficult situation. It was a hard task to rebuild the wall. I'm telling you, it's as hard as trying to get everybody back in church again. And you had some people saying this and some people saying that and all these different things. And what did Nehemiah do? He just kept working for the Lord. He just kept working for God. He said, I can't come off this wall. I can't be distracted. We got to get together. We got to get God's people together. And he kept faithfully doing the work. When the wall was built and here come these individuals that came into Jerusalem, and here they come. They're coming in as they're coming out of Babylon. They're coming into this wonderful city. As they're coming into the city, the walls rebuilt. All of a sudden, hedonism sets in. And just by human nature, people start doing what's right in their own eyes. Nehemiah once again gets a burden from God and Ezra as well. And they begin to read the word of God. To the people. They said, let's all get together and listen to the Word of God. And they read the Word of God together. And when the Word of God is read, listen, the Scripture says it will not return void. And so the Word of God went out. And when the Word of God went out, it impacted the innermost portions of their heart. They fell under deep conviction, the children of Israel did. And they repented of their sin. And a great revival happened in the land. And because of that revival, when God showed up in their hearts, it changed them from the inside. See, a lot of people want to come to God and they say, well, I'll come to church or I'll come to God, but let me get rid of this alcohol first or let me get rid of this pornography first or or let me get rid of this addiction or let me get rid of... Look, God wants you just as you are. You come to God, let Him transform you from the inside. From the inside. 
And so when there's this transformation that takes place on the inside, then there will be a regeneration that happens inside that comes outside of you and then will exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. That's what he's talking about here in chapter number 9, verse 38, when he says, and because of this, because of the revival that took place, he says, we're going to make a sure covenant And he says, we're going to write it down, and our leaders, and our Levites, our preachers, our priests, our spiritual advisors, all of those that are in the community of faith, we're all going to seal it. We're going to commit ourselves to it. We're going to make a commitment to God because we got right with God, because God provided a place for us, we're committing to that, and we're going to stay faithful to it. And then that's where chapter 10 comes in. And in chapter 10, verse number 1, look at what the Bible says. Now, those who placed their seal on the documents were. And then you see all here, we're not going to read them all, but look at all these lists of names. All these names that were listed. And then he goes in verse number 28. Look at verse 28. He says, now, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the, the singers. And he goes on, he goes, All of those who had separated themselves from the people of the lands of the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his observance and statutes, we would not give our daughters as wives to the people of, of, uh, would not give our wives to the people of the land, nor take their daughters to our sons. If the peoples of the land brought uh, wares or any gain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it. Uh, from the Sabbath, nor a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year produce and the exacting of everyone or extracting everyone's debt. Also, we made ordinances with our with ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one third of a shekel of the service of the house of God for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering, from the Sabbath, the new moons, the set feasts, for the holy things, for the sin offering, to make atonement for Israel, and all the works of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses, and to the appointment times and years by years, to burn on the altar of the Lord, our God, as it is written by the Lord. And he goes all the way through this, and he begins to talk, and he's talking about all this commitment that they have to God. And he says there, we'll accept the curses as well as the blessings. We'll do whatever is 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 required of us, but we're going to stay faithful to God regardless of what happens. And then look what he says in verse number 39. He says, for the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain, Of the new wine, the oil, to the storerooms. Where the articles of the sanctuary are. Where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are. And we, watch this, we will not neglect the house of our God. You want to know why they needed revival? Because they neglected the house of God. They neglected it. And when you neglect the house of God, you become and put yourself in a position 
of you love God abstractly. There's this abstract love of God, but it's not a concrete love of God. Uh, It's kind of like a story that I heard of a man who finished his driveway. He was concreting his driveway, and he put concrete all in his driveway, and he was finishing up that concrete. And as he was finishing up that concrete driveway, he he stepped back, and, and he looked at what he did, and he said, that's a good job. Man, that is beautiful. It's pristine. It's nice. and It's just a beautiful driveway. Wanting to admire the work that he had done, he went inside and he got him a glass of lemonade and he sat down uh, there in, in his living room looking out the window at his driveway. And as he's watching his driveway, he noticed the neighbor, the little boy from next door, came outside. And man, that little boy that came outside next door saw that concrete and it was like... Uh, He was just drawn to that wet concrete. I mean, he wanted it. And the next thing he knew, that boy was in the middle of that wet concrete. He was playing in that wet concrete. And he had it all everywhere. The man was aghast. He could not believe it. He said, ah! He stood up. He put his lemonade down. He ran outside. He yelled at the kid. He said, what are you doing? I just finished that. Get out of my driveway. Don't you know how much work went into that? Get out. He was very rude to the little boy. So rude that the man's wife came up to him and said, Honey, you sure were rude to that boy. Did you have to be that rude to him? I thought you liked children. And the man looked at his wife and he said, Honey, let me tell you something. I love children in the abstract, but I don't like them in the concrete. Now don't miss it because there's great truth there. We have this tendency to be the same way as Christians. We love Christianity in the abstract. I mean, we love the thought of it. Love one another. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Love your neighbor. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We love Christianity in the abstract. But when it comes to the concrete, when we have to change ourselves to match what the Word of God says and move it out of the abstract into the concrete, then we got a problem. No, no, I can't, I can't do that. Do you know how they've hurt me? Do you know how what they've done to me? Do you know? We can't, we just can't do it. We cannot seem to move out of the abstract of Christianity into the concrete lessons of Christianity. And that's what Christianity is all about. It's about moving things from the abstract, from the Word of God, and applying them into our heart and that application, fleshing out that truth on a born again child of God. And so we find here that because Nehemiah understood this, there are three things we find here in this passage of Scripture in regards to faithfulness that will always produce fruitfulness. You see, you can't have fruitfulness in your life if you don't have faithfulness in your life. If you want to be fruitful, that is, if you want to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, then you've got to be faithful to the Word of God. You cannot have fruitfulness without faithfulness. They go hand in hand. And so as this revival has taken place, 
These individuals want to seal the deal and commit themselves to faithfully following after God. And we see three truths here in this passage of Scripture in regards to faithfulness. And that's what I want to challenge us as a church today with. Because, man, we all got opinions about what's going on today. Whether it be culturally, whether it be medically, whether it be socially. Man, I mean, uh, we, we got them. Man, we've got opinions out there. They're, they're everywhere. And the question that I have for us today as a church is, how faithful are we to Jesus Christ? How faithful are we to the Lord? Number one, the first thing I want you to notice is found in chapter 10, verses 1 through 29. And I want you to notice, first of all, the appeal to faithfulness. The appeal to faithfulness. There is an appeal that's going to be made in this regard to faithfulness. And this appeal comes on two levels. Let me show them to you. Number one, the first, it comes to role models. Role models. In verses 1 through 27, here is this laundry list of role models that we see in this appeal to faithfulness. He simply says just this, because there was a great revival in our land, God has moved us from a position where we've confessed our sins and now we want to exercise godliness. And he had already in his word, remember we're dealing in the Old Testament times. So in the Old Testament he says God's already revealed to us what this faithfulness looks like. And so he says I'm putting my yes on the table and I'm asking all the role models that are out there to do the same. I'm asking all of our leaders, all of our Levites, all of our priests. I'm asking us all to sign it first and then everybody else can sign out. After us, but I'm telling you, if we're going to make a difference, the leaders have to come first. And might I say, an echo, if we're going to see a change in the United States of America, our leaders have got to step up to the plate. And our leadership must fear God. Our leadership must commit themselves to prayer. Our leadership, and I'm not just talking about church leadership, I'm talking about national leadership. We need to get back to the basics of life. Get back to fearing God. Get back to loving God. Get back to loving our family. God put us in this pandemic to get us and our families back together. May we not squander it. And let us be the leaders in our homes that demonstrate and flesh out the truth of God's holy word. We need some godly role models today. We find here in this list, he begins with himself. He begins with Nehemiah and Zedekiah. Next to sign were 21 priests. And then we see the heads of those priestly households in verses 2 through 8. Ezra's name, if you'll notice, does not appear here in this text. But it is because he was of the household of Sedera. There in verse number 2. Then you come to the 17 heads of the Levitical households, followed by the 44 heads of the leading families. Some of these names are identical to those same names found in Ezra chapter 2 and Nehemiah chapter 7. There are others that are, that are represented that are new. That is saying that there are people that had come into the fold that experienced revival that, that did not before. And so the point here is that God is moving. And God in his moving there, in this point that I'm talking about, is he's moving, but his movement is involved in leadership. The leadership set the example for others. 
The leadership puts their name on the dotted line first and commit themselves to do what what, uh, they expect the people under them to do. They put the yes on the table. So whether it's our family, our church, our business, uh, whether it be our culture, our nation, we must set the example by applying God's truth to everyday lives and to preach one message and to live a different way is hypocrisy and we'll never have revival in a hypocrisy-filled world. I read a story about uh, this week about a man who went to the Waffle House and he was eating with his wife and after they were done eating, he got up from the table and he walked over and he, he paid for his meal. His wife sat there all the while, not moving. After he paid for the meal, he walked back over to the table and he reached down to his wife and he took her hands and he put her hands around his neck. She clasped her hands together and with his hands up under her he picked her up revealing that the woman was in a full body cast she was hurting and as he picked her up he toted her all the way out of that waffle house to the car and he put her in the vehicle The cook, seeing what was happening, turned to the waitress and said, Did you see that? The waitress said, Yeah, I I did. And the cook said, You know what that means? And the waitress said, No, what does that mean? And the cook said, That means that that man took his vows seriously. I wonder, as a Christian... How serious do we take our vows? How serious do you take your vows? The vow that you made when you gave yourself over to God. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for faithfulness. How faithful are you to God? The first appeal was to role models. Then watch this. Number two, there's a second appeal here. And it's to residents. It's found in verses 28 and 29. Look at what the Bible says. Notice your scriptures. Verse number 28. The Bible says, Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, uh, the Nethinim, and all of those that had separated themselves from the peoples of the land of God and their wives, everybody else, all the rest of the residents, signed. Whatever direction the leadership went, that was the direction the residents went. It should be noted that because of the role model's expression of sealing their commitment to faithfulness in Israel, so even there, the youngest person, even all of them, they signed their names and said, yes, and and you can see it here when you read this text. It's like the passion jumps out and the joy jumps out. This is not a position of legalism. This is a position of God's moving amongst us and we want to be a part of it. Everyone is ready to accept the fruit that comes from the faithfulness. But here's the question. I wonder, how many of those individuals would willingly accept the curses that come with their disobedience? For many years now in the United States of America, we have been saying that we've been living off of the blessings of our forefathers. And now is, could it be that judgment day is upon us? 
And the only way for us to see these wrongs corrected is for us to fall on our face, repent of our sins, and come back to God. When you read this text, it's obvious they're not anticipating failure here. Their confidence was high. And isn't that so true? When we get saved, man, our confidence is high. And then we have disaster strike. And we get discouraged. And we think about the fact, well, if God really did love me, then why is this difficult thing happening? And we're so whitewashed here in the United States because of this. I heard a story several years ago uh, that Chuck Swindoll tells. He, he wrote about it. Actually, he says in, in Russia, KGB Russia, many years ago, on one particular Sunday, believers had arrived in this house church. And as they were there, the suspicious KJB uh, informers came in. And as they came in, they shouted to everybody in the room, If you wish to denounce Jesus Christ, you do it now or the consequences will be heavy. Immediately, many ran out of the house. After a few more seconds, they said it again. This is your last chance. Either you turn against your faith and you turn against Jesus Christ, he ordered, or you suffer the consequences. Three or four more ran out the door leaving only a handful of people in the church. No one else moved. Parents with children trembling beside, beside them, scared to death, fully anticipating to be gunned down or imprisoned. The other soldiers closed the door behind them, looked back at those that stood against the wall and said, Keep your hands up. But I want you to keep your hands up to praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Those KGB agents says, we want you to know that we're Christians too. And we were sent to another house church several weeks ago. And we received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. The other soldier interrupted. He said this. We converted to Jesus Christ and we've learned by our own experience that unless people are willing to die for their faith, they cannot be fully trusted. Hey. Are you willing to die for your faith, friend? Can you be fully trusted of Jesus Christ? The Bible says here their commitment to faithfulness is stated. He's, they say, we will obey the decrees of the Lord. We will obey, he says. We find here in this passage of Scripture the appeal to faithfulness. In their role models, in their residence. But let me show you a second thing. Watch this. Oh, this is good. He moved from this appeal to the attitude of faithfulness. The attitude of faithfulness. In verses 30 through 36, there's these two elements of their attitude that just spring off the text, if you would. In verses 30 and 31, we see their very first moment, the attitude of faithfulness is that of an attitude of repentance. They repent in verse number 30. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. For if the peoples of the land brought wares or any gain, gain, uh, uh, grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. We would forego the seventh year's uh, produce and the exacting, uh, or the extracting of every debt. What are they, what are they saying here in this text? What they're saying is, we did this wrong before. 
and we're repenting of this, and we're getting right with God. And in getting right with God, he says, listen, we are deeply concerned by our shortcomings and failures. And so they repented their failures to stay pure as a people of God and not have unbiblical marriage. Let me just say this. As born-again children of God, we should not have unbiblical marriages. One of the major detriments in our society today is believers marrying unbelievers. I'm not talking about race. That's not what the Scripture ever implied. It's implying this issue of believers believing. A believer ought to marry a believer. And there ought not to be any missionary dating out there either. Also, he says, by returning to honor the Sabbath day as a holy day and not just another opportunity to make profits. You know, we get all up in the air about Chick-fil-A. But this is the stance Chick-fil-A took. God said, come on the first day of the week. And so we want to give our families on the first day of the week an opportunity to go to the house of God. And God has blessed Chick-fil-A. And man, we can get all worked up and all... It's absolutely amazing to me. Did you know Chick-fil-A is second, second only to McDonald's? And Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. Well, just something to think about. Number three, he talks about this. And obedience to the, re- to, to the rest of God's decree for the land for seven years. Let God's land rest. Let the land rest on the seventh year. And then we see this last part. It also included the pardon of debts. The pardon of debts. All of these things were found in this old covenant. And they said, we have wandered and strayed away from the word of God. And now we want to get back. Brothers and sisters, if we want to have an attitude of faithfulness, then we've got to look at ourselves and say, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, it's me. God, speak to me. Where am I falling short in the new covenant? Thank God we're not following after the old covenant anymore. But we are in this new covenant where the blood of Jesus covers us from all of our sins. But that does not give us liberty to trample over the grace of God. That doesn't negate, if you would, the Word of God and the principles that come from the Word of God. That is marrying a believer, going to church, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as some do. Which who, do, who are the ones that do that? Lost people. I've got to hurry. I've got to move forward. The, the attitude of repentance ought to be that of being faithful to God. Faithfully repenting of your sin. Here's number two. Let me give you a second thing here about this attitude of faithfulness. Not only was it an attitude of repentance, but it's also an attitude of responsibility. They began to be responsible in verses 32 through 36. Look at what he says there in the text. He says, also, we made ordinances for ourselves. There's this personal responsibility that he's taking here now in this, in this text. He says, we assume responsibility of our own attitude. Uh, you've heard it said, and it's true. Your attitude will determine your blessing. And there's this personal responsibility that must be met in this expression of faithfulness. 
being responsible. It's not my brother's problem, not my sister's problem, but it's me. I'm the problem. And what's my major problem? I'm selfish. And what's the cure for selfishness? Holiness. What's the cure for holiness? Repenting of your sins and coming to Jesus Christ. We see here in this text that they said, we're taking responsibility. We made ordinances of ourselves. We're making commitments ourselves. Our leadership showed the demonstration of it, and we're following after. And then number three, let me give you the third one. I'm out of time. My time is gone. We're talking about here faithfulness. And we're seeing here in the text this appeal to faithfulness, the attitude of faithfulness. But then number three, I want you to see the action. The actions of faithfulness. In verses 37 through 39, the actions of faithfulness. And there are two of them, very quickly, and then we close. Number one, the first thing we see is a resolution. We resolve. Verse 32, again, he says, we make ordinance for ourselves to extract from ourselves yearly one-third of shekel of service uh, of the house of our God. Here is a process, if you would, a resolution that they make in and of themselves that makes sense for them. We are moving and following after Christ. We're going to resolve to follow after God. Now, watch this. They're following after God and godliness. We're following after Christ and Christ's likeness. So in following after that, what should be our resolution? We should resolve to have the mind of Christ. And what is the mind of Christ in our culture today? I believe the mind of Christ for Maysville Baptist Church is to love God, love others, and serve the world. To take the situations that we're currently in and to help people get to the answer. The answer is Jesus. That should be our resolution. But not only do you see it resolved, we also see the resources. In verses 37 through 39, you'll notice that their resolve took real expression. It took real expression, and one area of expression was their faithfulness to God and His temple. They said, we're not going to neglect the temple. We're not going to neglect the church. And so what we're seeing here when you read this text, and you can read it this this afternoon, here's what you're going to find. Actions speak louder than words. A lot of times people can't hear what we're saying because they see what we're doing. Let individuals see Jesus as you talk about Jesus. We think Jesus turned over the money changers every single day. He didn't turn over those money changers every single day. He may have been frustrated every single day, but he didn't turn over money changers every single day. He didn't show righteous indignation every single day. Let me tell you what Jesus showed every day. Mercy. Grace. Love. Those three things are prevalent and predominant in the life of Jesus Christ. And when it comes to Maysville Baptist Church, we try to encapsulate those teachings of Jesus in our purpose statement. Loving God, loving others, 
in serving the world. Let others see Jesus in us. I want to ask you a question this morning in closing. When it comes to your Christianity, do you love it in the abstract, but hate it in the concrete? See, I'm asking you to move beyond a head knowledge of Christianity. Get it out of the abstract, the thought of it, and put it into the action. Put it in action. I got a phone call last night and uh, thoroughly enjoyed my time on, the, on this phone call. And this phone call came with deep concern for a fellow believer. And the prayer request that came in was simply this. Will you pray, not only for the believer that I'm asking you to pray for, but would you pray for the individual, the enemy of the believer? Would you pray for the enemy of the believer that they would get the help they need that they might trust Christ? That is moving from the abstract and moving to the concrete. That is not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. You want to make a difference in our world today. And look, I said, we're, we're from Maysville. We, we're so, we, we're, a little bit, we're a little bit detached. Folks, you realize this. Little Maysville is growing every day. I'm telling you what. You, we've got Gwinnett County pushing up against us from the south. We've got Hall County pushing up against us. Uh, we, we've got Grayson pushing up from the other side. Athens pushing down on us. I'm telling you, we're in a position where there's got to be a church that signals a clear middle C on what loving God, loving others, and serving the world is all about. This place, Maysville Baptist Church, is committed. We're committed. And the only way to be committed fully and see the fruit of that commitment is to be faithful to Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you this in closing. How is your faithfulness? How's your faithfulness to God? How's your faithfulness in your Bible reading, sir? How's your faithfulness to your prayer time, ma'am? How's your faithfulness to God? Maybe you're not faithful because you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Could I ask you to do this today? Would you quit playing games? And would you commit today to trust Jesus as your Savior? I mean change from the inside. So how would I do that, Pastor? Right where you're sitting, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus? Go ahead, you can say it right there, right where you're sitting. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. And today I ask you to save my soul. I repent of my sin, and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now, according to the Word of God, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead as the Messiah. The Bible says because of that, you're saved. I would love, love to connect with you if you got saved today. 
from our church family. Don't forget, church, tomorrow from 9 to 12, right here at the church, I'd love to see you come by. If you want to drop your gift off, I'll be here tomorrow. Love to see you. Please tune in on Wednesday as we're going to have more concrete plans as to when we can come back in this place and worship together as a family. No children's uh, department as far as children goes. Jacob's still going to be here. We're still going to have our children. But we're going to have to open it up first with family-style worship. That's our next step, family-style worship right here on this campus. I love you. I can't wait to see you on Wednesday. God bless each one of you. I hope you have a great Sunday. And don't forget, stay faithful to God. Thank you so very much for tuning into our broadcast today. It is the purpose of Maysville Baptist Church to love God, love others, and serve the world. One of the ways that we serve the world is broadcasting this program all over the world through the internet. I want to tell you what a joy it is to have you tune in today. Maybe at the end of the service you prayed and received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Several years ago, I wrote a book entitled My First Week. I would love to send you a copy of this book to help you on your brand new journey as being a born-again Christian. If you'll just reach out to me by our website, send me an email, uh, or maybe even call the church, I'd be glad to drop this in the mail and send it to you. May the Lord bless you for tuning in. I hope to see you next week, and thank you for being with us at Justice and mercy